Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. All right. Thank you guys so much. Good morning. As my friends are departing the stage right now, um, I'm Wes, pastor of men's ministry and missions and outreach here at North, and I do have the best job on the planet. I'm glad to be here with you today. About six weeks ago or so, I was given this passage and this title to, uh, to look over, and I've, I've, frankly, I've had a difficult time of coming up with what I feel like the Lord has wanted me to share today. And <clears throat> with looking at commentaries and, and uh, listening to other sermons online, um, you know, praying about it, thinking about it, talking with my friends, my wife, I finally landed uh, this Tuesday on kind of a framework for what I wanted to talk about today. And um, I, it, part of it came from a sermon that, 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 I, that I saw from Westside Church. I'm not even sure where Westside Church is. I couldn't find the pastor's name, but he gave me a framework for how to think about it. So I was grateful for that. Um, but this is, this is a series called You're Invited. And we're finishing this series today. It's a, it was a three-part series called You're Invited. Two weeks ago, we were invited to a greater commitment. Last week, Kirsten and Larry shared about us being invited to a bigger faith. And this week, uh, the title is You're Invited to a Deeper Love. And it's verses 9 through 21 of Romans 12. So you can turn in your Bible, your Bible app. Uh, it will also be on the screen. It's Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. The framework that, that, I, that I came about uh, was this. Within these 13 verses of, of Scripture, uh, it's a very dense passage in, in regards to instructions and commands. It's probably the most dense uh, part of the New Testament when it comes to 13 verses. There are actually 30 instructions for us as believers within these 13 verses. There's 30 commands or instructions or things that we are called to do as followers of Christ. And these, these 13, it's kind of like a mini Sermon on the Mount, if you will, but these 13 verses, these 30 commands are broken down into essentially two categories. The first category is how we, as believers, are to respond to other believers, how we are to respond to people within the body of Christ here at North Bible Church or in our local community and around the world? How are we to respond to people within the body of Christ? The second category within these 30 instructions is as believers, how are we to respond to people outside the body of Christ? How are we to treat them, love them, especially when those people outside of the body of Christ or especially when those people within the body of Christ come against us, persecute us, uh, treat us harshly. So that's what the passage is about today, um, a deeper love. I'm convinced that um, I've had a harder time coming up with this one. I'm more nervous than normal, and I'm not sure why. And I, I, I believe that it's because it's such a tough thing to do, is live out these 13 verses. Tough for me and tough for you as well. So let me pray. God, I thank you um, that we are here because of you. We get to place our hope 
in you. Your life, your death, and your resurrection. And because of who you are, then as followers of you, we get to respond accordingly. Help us to do that this morning. Um, Bring your spirit upon us that we can hear from you in your love. Amen. So this is the title. You're invited to a deeper love. So I'm going to start off with, I'm just going to read through all 13 verses together, starting in verse 9, and I believe it will be on the screen here. All right. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this first set of verses is for us as believers, how are we to respond to people within the body of Christ? And I'll let you know when we transition into how do we respond to people outside the body of Christ. But these, this first set is how are we to respond to people within the body of Christ? And it starts off with let love be genuine in verse 9. And this is how we let love be genuine. This is how we get a deeper love is by doing what the rest of the passage talks about. So this is kind of over top, let love be genuine. How do we do that within the body of Christ? How do we let love be genuine outside the body of Christ? Well, we do what the rest of the passage says. uh, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. This word abhor here, abhor what is evil, is the only time that's used in the New Testament. And it's to to be um, vehemently hate something, to hate something with a passion. It's not quite like your hatred for maybe the Seattle Seahawks or Michigan if you're an Ohio State fan, but it's a deep gut type of hatred for evil. Now, this is not a calling to hate evil people or people who do evil. This is a calling to hate evil. So, how do you know if you hate evil? It's easy to hate evil that's placed upon us. What's difficult is when we hear about evil that has happened over there, or we hear about what happened over there. When you, when you hear about evil things that happen amongst the body of Christ, do you react to it? Is there that, there's this gut 
hatred towards it? Or have you, or have myself, I know I'm guilty of this, have we gotten to a place of, ah, that stinks. Maybe we need to reevaluate what it means to actually hate the evil that happens within the church. And it says to hold fast to what is good. This is a, glu- a glued type of word. It's, it's an intimacy. It's a gripping. So hold fast to what is good. Hold fast to what is good within other people and also hold fast to the good that's in us. So for example, my son Bryson, he's a prayer warrior. He believes in prayer. He has more faith in it than I do. He challenges me. That, that is good. And I want him to guard that. I want him to guard his, his passion and belief and confidence in prayer. And I want, I want to also support that as well. I want him to grip, hold on to it. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Brotherly affection, this is, this is an affection, a type of relationship that is reserved just for believers. This is between you and I. This is for people who follow Christ. And the reason this is just for the body of Christ is because we're family. We are sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. Therefore, we are family. And then we would respond in kind. That the people next to you in the rows are your family. They're your brothers. They're your sisters. People around the world who are Christians are your brothers, your sisters. And we are to treat one another accordingly. And then I was super excited about this outdo one another and showing honor because I'm a competitive person. I'm going to do more good things for you than you do for me. Yeah, I win. That's not really what this is talking about, unfortunately. What's talking about to outdo one another and with honor is to be the first one. To take initiative to, to show honor to other people. To not wait to be reciprocal, but to take the initiative to lift others up, to honor other people rather than ourselves. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. This zeal word is is literally in relationship to outdoing one another with honor because it relates to speed and enthusiasm. So, when it comes to celebrating other people, when it comes to honoring other people, are you quick to do it? Are you, do you do it with enthusiasm? Are you excited to do that? Or do you not have that approach? In order to, be, to have zeal and excitement and, and honor other people, it requires us to be close enough to people to where we know what would honor them. In order to honor one of you, I would need to know you well enough. So it requires a closeness. This phrase, be fervent in spirit. Fervent is a, is a temperature word. It's, it's a heat. It's about heat. So it's literally asking us to stoke the fire of our relationship with Christ. With, with the Holy Spirit, we are to keep momentum going. We're to, to stay moving. We're to, to stoke that fire in our relationship with Christ. And when we do that, we will serve the Lord. We'll serve the Lord by serving one another. So, if we are to serve one another, then in this, within this church body, you call yourself a believer, uh, you need to be serving here somehow, some way. We, we also serve outside of the church to other believers. We serve people around the world that are believers within the body. 
but we all need to be serving one another somehow, some way. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. So when I think of rejoicing in hope, hope is who Jesus Christ is. We hang our hope in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. That's where we we place our hope. We do it with joy. But what I typically do is I don't start there. When something bubbles up that I don't like, I'm frustrated with, I'm disappointed, whatever it is, I kind of start with my own disappointment and then I grumble about it for a while and then I may talk to other people about it. And then I kind of land eventually on but I know God's got this. I'm going to put my hope in him. He has a plan. What this passage is doing is encourages us to start there. When this thing comes upon us, whatever that thing is, that we start with, yep, here's an opportunity for me to rejoice in hope that Jesus has got this, that he has a plan. And then if we start there, then what happens when we do process it, when we do start to grumble, when we do start to share with other people, that will look differently because we've started with rejoicing in hope. Be patient in tribulation. First of all, I don't like to be patient. This is a, this is a stupid part of the passage. <clears throat> it's a virtue. It takes work. And patience is difficult. So how do we, as the current American church, how are we patient in tribulation? Because tribulation for us looks real different than tribulation around the world. We have our own tribulation. I think one of the the forms in which we have tribulation here in our current American church is when, when people start to take sides. When there's a decision that's made that you disagree with. Or there's a splintering of relationships and there becomes an us and of them. I think that's part of the tribulation that we experience here in our, in our current American church here within our church here at North. So we're, and then we're to also be constant in prayer. So I believe if we're not constant in prayer, we're gonna have a really difficult time rejoicing in hope and being, patience, and being patient during tribulation. So we're in transition here at North. We've been in transition. We're going to continue to be in transition. There will be decisions made. There will be changes. In that time, whenever that, these things are happening and have been happening and will happen, are we choosing to be patient when conversations start to go this way or that way or there's an us or a them? How are we speaking of the people within the body of Christ? We have to be constant in prayer. 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. When I hear the word saints, I kind of think of like older Christians, but the word saints here just means all believers. So what does it mean for us to show a deeper love, to live out, let love be genuine when it comes to other believers? Are we contributing to the needs? Are we seeking to show hospitality, not just do show hospitality every now and then when it comes your way, but are you seeking to show hospitality? Are you creating ways? So here at North, we have what's called the Shepherd's Fund, and the purpose of this fund for our church is to meet the needs, meet your needs, meet the needs of believers. And we use that fund to do so. We have our missions and outreach committee and budget where we 
literally meet the needs and create ways to show hospitality here and around the world. But we're also called to do this as individuals. We're called to do this as families. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now it's getting real. This word bless is, is the form of like a eulogy. Like if you're at a funeral, someone stands up and they say blessings over the person who has just passed. We are to speak uh, kind truths over people, not just the people we like, but the people who have persecuted us. This is still all within the body of Christ. So expectations are everything. My son, my youngest son, Joseph, <clears throat> for whatever reason, had this expectation in his head. Last November, I turned 40. And a month before that, we were having a discussion about what it means to you know, be 40 or over the hill. In his head, his expectation was over the hill means death. He literally thought I was going to die. And so he asked Kristen, matter-of-factly, by the way, so when dad's over the hill in a month, who are you going to marry? <laughs> like, he wasn't even sad when he asked the question. <laughs> so we're like, okay, explain what you're talking about. We boil it down. We have no idea where it came from, but this was an expectation that he had. So expectations are everything. Sometimes we expect that harm will come to us from outside of the church, but it shouldn't from within. We should expect to have hurtful things happen within the body of Christ because it just will. So having that expectation ahead of time and then choosing to respond in kind and speaking truth over it, it's always the hardest to be hurt by family. And then to not only not curse them, but to bless them with our words. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Rejoice with and weep with. This one for sure requires a closeness with people. I can't cry with you, I can't be in sorrow with you if I don't know what you are crying about or have sorrow about. Are you close enough to the people in this room or in the church community that you are, have sorrow with them? Are you close enough to rejoice with them? Do you know what other people are getting joy about, receiving this, this joy? Because if you're not close enough to know that, then you can't rejoice with them. And the command, the instruction is to rejoice and to weep with. I think it's less fun, track with me here, I think it's less fun to weep with people, but it's actually easier. I think it's more fun to rejoice with people, but it's harder, and here's why I say that. To weep with someone feels pretty natural. When they're sad, it's easy for me to be sad, and they, they, they are receiving something from me. I'm helping. I'm comforting. And we prefer to come from a place of, I'm the helper, and I'm, I'm helping you. What's a little harder, I think, at times is to rejoice with someone because, one, they're not receiving anything from you. They got this other thing, and you're just choosing to have joy with them. But in order to rejoice with people, sometimes we have to get over our own jealousy. 
We have to get over a sense of fairness. Maybe they didn't, they didn't deserve this great thing. Maybe there's a sense of justice or greed or pride that we have to, we have to lay that aside in order to truly have joy with someone else. Verse 16, and this is the last one that's um, within the body of Christ. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Harmony will happen if we humble ourselves, if we take away our pride, if we're open to being wrong, if we're teachable, if we seek understanding with one another. I like to be right. It's fun to be right. I'm, I'm comfortable when I'm right. It's uncomfortable to be wrong and humble myself and hang out with the lowly and not be wise in my own sight. And if we do those things, we will live in harmony. Now, harmony doesn't mean same. Harmony is complementary. So when I am standing next to my friend Jim Taggart and I'm singing the melody line and he is harmonizing, they're literally different notes but they are better in harmony in that way. So to live in harmony with one another isn't same, isn't always agreement, but it is complementary. We complement one another, and we can't do that unless we humble ourselves. So now we transition in the, the instructions to how we as believers can have a deeper love for people outside the body of Christ. And I, I believe this is where it changes because of words like all instead of one another. It transitions to the word all and, and enemy. So verse 17. <clears throat> Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Repay no one. This is a non-retaliatory call on our life. We are to literally think about, consider take initiative to figure out how to honor others, especially when they've done something evil. Not wait to have someone else tell us, but to create opportunities for it. And in the 50s, there was this, there's a great illustration, you may have heard of this before, but Nate Saint was a missionary, and he, along with Jim Elliott and some other missionaries, uh, sought out a tribe in eastern Ecuador to go be missionaries there, love on them, tell them about Jesus. They didn't know who, who Jesus was. They committed ahead of time to not repay evil for evil. So if they were attacked, they, they weren't going to attack them back because they knew their eternal destiny and they did not know the, other, the tribe's eternal destiny. They went down there in the 50s and they were attacked a couple of days later and they were, they were all killed. Destroyed families, obviously. But Nate's sister, Rachel, and Jim's wife, Elizabeth, did not repay evil for evil. They continued to be missionaries to the people of the tribe, and people began to accept Christ. Nate's saint's son, Steve, was six when his dad was murdered, and he ended up becoming friends with the person who murdered his dad. This is a picture of, of them. They did not repay evil for evil. They did the opposite. And fast forward to 2010, you had what's called the Nate Saint House 
in eastern Ecuador. There was a house that was built that housed missionaries. People would come and visit. They'd stay there. It would take care of people. But the house needed rebuilt. And our very own Field of Mission and Nevin's family and through North Bible Church as well, we rebuilt the Nate Saint house in eastern Ecuador. And here's a picture of what it looked like before. And the next one here, there's Chris right there. I, apparently somebody said something funny. And there, of course, is, is uh, some of the guys who uh, was a part of the murder years and years ago. And this is what it looked like when it was restored. So because of an act in the 1950s, we got a chance to participate because they literally did not repay evil for evil. Verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The word peace is all throughout Scripture. We're encouraged to be, live at peace, but this is as far as it depends on you. So you can only do your part to live at peace with people outside the body of Christ. I mean, Jesus was literally perfect, the most peaceful person ever, and he did not receive peace in all the relationships in his life. We are to be fully committed to the Lord and do our best to live at peace. But it's not necessarily a promise. It's just how we're to respond. Verse 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then verse 20, To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Never avenge yourself. Instead, we are, we are instructed to, one, leave it in God's hands. Instead of taking that thing back into your own hands and, and avenging yourself, we are, we are to leave it in God's hands. And in his infinite wisdom, allow him to judge accordingly. Allow God to give grace accordingly. And two, never avenge ourselves, leave it in God's hands, and two, not only not avenge or get them back, but go further and do good to them. The perfect example for me is the movie Les Mis, where Jean Valjean was in prison, he was, came out of prison, and he, he meets this religious guy, this bishop, he goes into his home to sleep that night, and he steals a bunch of silver from him and, and escapes. And then he's caught the next day, and they bring him back to the bishop, and the bishop's like, oh, I'm not going to avenge you, actually, I'm going to give you more silver. And what that did is that convicted Jean Valjean. It, it heaped burning coals. It was actually kind of painful to receive such a blessing from someone that you showed harm to. And I think sometimes, this is part of the ugly part of me, I think sometimes I do on the outside towards people who are unbelievers, I, I do the gracious thing, I do the thing, you know, mercy, I say positive words, but then secretly, kind of inside, I'm like, but you're going to get yours one day. God's got this. But that's not, that's not what the passage is asking us to do. In fact, we are to wish blessings on them within here and then actually outward. But it's the same struggle that Jonah had, right? Jonah went to Nineveh. Nineveh was this terrible place. Didn't like these people. He didn't want to go on the trip anyway. He went, and then God poured out his grace and mercy on those people. And Jonah's like, what's the deal, dude? 
I thought we were going to like bring fire. You show grace. But that's our struggle. That's my struggle. And the last verse here, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Not only are we called to not do evil, but we're to go beyond and overcome evil with good. So we're to overcome the evil that comes this way, comes at us with, with, the, with the godly approach, but we're also to overcome the evil here so we can respond appropriately out there. So these last few verses beg the question, who is my enemy? Who is your enemy? Who comes to mind when, when I ask the question, who is your enemy? Who has come against you within the body of Christ and outside the body of Christ? What person is it? What people group is it? Your enemy actually may not be my enemy. You might be someone's enemy. This is not just a military word, though it could be, and it is at times. Our enemies can be anyone that's hurt us. Our enemy can be people who are antagonistic towards the church or towards Jesus. Our enemies can be people who believe or live differently than we do. Or maybe people who have hurt the people that we love. Basically, this passage is challenging us to bless anyone, bless everyone, and especially bless our enemies, to find ways to, to seek out ways to bless our enemies. I don't know how to do that. So going back to the question, who is your enemy? And our enemies may not be the same people. What about feeding people who have crossed the border illegally? Because some folks see them as an enemy. What about blessing the border agents who enforce the laws? whether justly or unjustly. Some folks see them as our enemy. What about folks on social media who are being awful to you or to someone else? How do you respond? What about the folks on the other side of the political aisle from you? What about your coworker who gossiped about you or an ex-boss who fired you? What about that family member who treated your child harshly? What about the person who cheated on you? Or someone that you love? Or maybe even the person that they cheated with? What about that abuser? What about the person in this church body who may even be in this room that you have a hard time with? Maybe they're too liberal, maybe they're too conservative, maybe you think they're fake, maybe they're annoying, maybe you think they're selfish or judgmental, or maybe they've hurt you. The ethic that we are taught in this passage makes sense because it's God, it's Jesus who's saying it. Sure isn't easy to do. It's the opposite of what is natural. It's upside down. It's, the, it's contrary to what we want to do. It's painful. It's the hard way. It's not the easy way. But as the Spirit leads, if we pursue blessing our enemies, we will literally change ourselves. We will literally change our family. We will literally change our community. We will change the world. Imagine if this is how we lived. The passage challenges us to love with a deeper love 
a genuine love both within the church body and outside of it. So who are you called to bless? Who is it that has come to your mind or to your heart or that you need to reach out to to show a deeper love? If we lived this way, if we started doing this more often, I believe we would end up weeping and rejoicing with others. I believe we would end up receiving brotherly affection. I believe we would end up speaking words of affirmation over someone that we consider an enemy. I believe we'd end up living peaceably with more people. We'd end up with burning coals on our head. We'd end up trusting God even more. So let's go with a deeper love. Let me pray. God, this, this is your word. It's challenging. It's encouraging. My prayer is that we can live it out. That we can do it. That we can start even pursuing what that might look like in our life. Not for any other reason other than the fact that we love you and you've asked us to be obedient. In your name, amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. So the the question that has been placed upon my heart and I would like to ask you guys to consider it as well is, okay, so now what? Uh, Was there a person that came to mind? Is there something that you're called to do either within the body of Christ or outside? Maybe, maybe the start for you is God help me to even want to do that. Uh, maybe, maybe you know what you need to do or want to do. But I believe that the Lord will be faithful in it and he will change us from the inside out and it will change uh, work for his kingdom as he wants it to be done. So let's go and let's do that with deeper love. Love you guys. See ya. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.